Lifehouse. We are continuing our summer at Lifehouse series, and today I have the privilege of introducing you to someone who's not only a great pastor in our community, uh, but has become a friend. Pastor Adam and his wife Tiffany pastor Rock Hills Church right here in the great city of San Antonio. Adam has graciously accepted my invitation to come and share with us his heart for Jesus. And I know you will be as blessed as I am to have him this morning. Church, will you stand and will you give a warm welcome to Pastor Adam Harris? Your pastor has been so kind to me and Lifehouse Church uh, has been so kind to us as well. We've been able to sneak over here and enjoy a service or two over the years. And uh, it's refreshing, refreshing what you guys have here at Lifehouse because it's not every church that uh, opens their doors to other churches and other pastors uh, and welcomes them with the kindness that you guys have. And uh, like I say, it's truly refreshing. And I think you're on to something there, uh, which leads me to what I want to talk about today. I've had this growing conviction in my life, um, I'd say over the last couple of years, but specifically this summer, um, that there should be something different about our lives, about my life. If I'm following Christ, the Bible tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive within me. And if that spirit is within me, shouldn't there be something different about my life? Now, this is no shock to you guys, but we live in a culture that is easily divided, is easily outraged, is full of anxiety, and yet in the midst of that, there should be something different about you and I if Christ is within us. Not that we're better than anyone else, not that we're holier than thou or we're some sort of elite status, but there should be something uncommon about my life and about your life. But if we're honest, that's not always the case, is it? When people look at our lives or when people look at the church, they don't necessarily see something that's all that different. I want to share with you today a scripture from Galatians that you'll be very familiar with, but just give you some background on the Galatians here. Paul, as many of you know, writes this letter, this epistle to the Galatians because he started this church there and he has such a passion for this, for the church. As a matter of fact, he describes it in 419 is he's longing for Christ to be formed within the believers and he compares it to he longs for it like the pains of childbirth. And how he knew what the pains of childbirth were like, I'm not sure, but he has a deep longing to see Christ formed within the church. He understands that the way for Christ to be formed within the church is the working of the Holy Spirit within us. And he's planted this church in Galatia. And now he's gone on to plant more churches uh, as he begins to, to spread the gospel. And as he plants this church, other leaders rise up with good intentions, but they say, okay, now we're following Christ, but you also need to follow rules one through 20 as well. And this division arises 
within the church. I know it's hard to believe that even believers may disagree on things, right? But this develops within the church, and there's division. There's a fence of this group saying, well, how can you say that or believe that? You have one group who's saying, listen, we're following Christ, and we also need to make sure we continue to observe all of these sacred laws. And then the other group is saying, yes, we're following Christ, and that means we are now free from all of those laws and customs. It's even found in the church today, right? There's a legalism that says, well, if you are a true believer, here is the way you would act. Here is the way you would treat other people. Here's what you would do. You would follow all of these rules. And then there's a group that could be on the other side of the spectrum that says, because we are in Christ, we are now free from any of those disciplines, because Christ is within us. And unfortunately, it creates a polarity within our society today that's reflected within the church. And the problem there is that the world looks at us, the church, and they say there's not much appealing there. I see the same division within the church and I don't see anything worth following. I don't see anything that is different or unordinary, which brings me back to my point. There should be something unordinary and unique and appealing about my life. I got to go to on a, on a mission trip to Honduras a couple of years ago, and I have never been somewhere with such a lush landscape of fruit. I mean, all kinds of fruit just everywhere. Bananas and mangoes and pineapples just all over the hillside. And coffee beans. Can you say amen for coffee beans? <laughs> just everywhere. But it literally made my mouth salivate. Just seeing all of this fruit. And this is how Paul describes it to the church as he's saying the spirit needs to work within us so that we have something to offer the world. Not because of what we do, not because we're trying harder, but because simply you are connected to Christ, this should be produced in your life. Galatians 5, 22, 23, many of you are familiar with it, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, right or wrong, we're living in a day that when many people would describe believers or describe the church, that's not the description that they would use. They wouldn't say, boy, those people who follow Jesus, they're the most loving, the most kind, the most gentle, and so on and so on. Many people would describe the church, again, right or wrong, as being hypocritical, hateful, and judgmental. And many times we bring that on ourselves. But what God is wanting to do, as we are connected to him, he is wanting to form the character of Christ within you and me. See, the end game is not that we could check off we were in church every single Sunday that we were really successful people or that our church was really successful. The end game is that Christ was formed within us. 
that we are becoming who he wants us to be. I was able to uh, bring some of my family with me uh, here today. My wife Tiffany is right back here, and my two sons are here, uh, Nate and Jack, and one of them is adopted. I won't tell you which one. You'll have to figure it out on your own. I also have uh, two daughters who are away in San Marcos and Austin, uh, but we're happy to be here with you guys today. Nate uh, just happens to be blind. He's been blind uh, since birth. Uh, he has light perception, which means he can see what you can see with your eyes completely closed. So if you close your eyes, you can tell whether the light is shining on you or not. That's how much Nate can see. And because of that, he's had to adapt in many ways, and he uses his ears really well. So if you're talking in the service today, he's listening to every word you say, I assure you. Uh, but he learns to identify things by sound. He navigates very well uh, with sound. He's been able to use his ears to identify many things. So in honor of Nate, we're going to get warmed up here with a little icebreaker, uh, if that's all right with you guys. Uh, we're going to name some sounds with uh, a little thing I call Name That Critter. If I can take you all back to junior high youth group here real quick. So we're going to give you a multiple choice slide that will play a sound, and I want you to tell me what critter is making that sound. Let's roll the first slide. Cat, squirrel, rat, or Australian magpie? What do you got? Everybody participate? Squirrel. The answer is squirrel. You guys are smart. You're doing better than the first service so far. All right, second slide. Frog, woodpecker, antelope, or prairie dog? Oh, come on, guys. That was a frog. All right, just one more for funsies here. Third slide. Badger, goat, hippo, or orangutan? That is a goat, correct. Ribbon for the man on the other side of the room there. Why do I bring this up? Well, for one, I'm going to set the bar as low as possible today. So that when Pastor Ryan comes back, you're going to say, thank you so much for coming back. That Adam absolutely lowered the bar. But really, I say this because Paul is describing a situation that says there should be a sound that identifies what your species is. A sound identifies these species. He's saying there should be a sound that identifies your life as a Christ follower. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control should be echoing out of our lives. It should be the sound that following God makes. Because as we are connected to Christ, the vine and the branch, it produces this fruit in us. Not because you're trying harder to love people. Not because you're trying harder to be kind, which is hard Sometimes, not because you're trying harder to have self-control, but simply by being connected, the fruit is produced within us. I grew up on an orchard in West Texas that produced not fruit, but pecans. Those pecan branches produced nuts, not by trying hard, but by simply remaining connected to the trunk of the tree. 
And if you and I are connected to Christ, this sound should be produced within our lives. I sincerely believe that we're living in a particular cultural moment. The world is crazy right now. I mean, who would have thought that these were the times that we were living in? And I think this passage, there may be not anything that's more important than us attaching to this and living this in our lives, that this should be the sound that my life makes everywhere that I go, that your life makes. But unfortunately, sometimes I sound more like a frog when I go out and drive on 281. Today, I want to focus on one of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, and that is goodness. Because I think goodness is a bit of an abstract concept. I think uh, most of us think, you know, I'm a good person. That's goodness, right? I mean, good enough. And we either think of it so vaguely that we're okay with where we're at. We're not challenged to grow in goodness because we think we're a good person. Or we could be on the other end of the spectrum where we feel like I'm never going to be good enough. I'm not good enough at anything in my life. But we have to have a new standard. Jesus is our standard for goodness, and he sets the bar really high. Acts 10, 38 says this, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that's within us, and with power. Then Jesus went around doing Good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You see, Jesus wasn't just vaguely nice, he wasn't just a good old boy, he was intentionally good. He was good in a revolutionary sense. The goodness about God's character within Jesus was magnetic to the point where. It got him killed. So I want us to look at three aspects of goodness that we see within Christ. We should also see within our own lives. Three biblical aspects of goodness. Number one, integrity. That is interior goodness. The goodness within us that nobody else sees what we think, what we feel, what we do within our hearts, in our minds. The second aspect is charity. The exterior goodness, how we live it out, how we show God's goodness to the world. And the third aspect is clarity. Understanding what goodness it really is because it is the goodness of God. Not the goodness of just a kind program that we're supposed to be a part of, but the goodness of God himself. And I would dare to say that the world is starving for people who will live that out. With integrity, charity, and clarity, we can be the people who demonstrate God's goodness to the world. So the first item, integrity. Goodness of God on the inside of us, inside of who we are. If we travel to Jerusalem, I'm sure Pastor Ryan has something set up to take you all traveling to Jerusalem when he gets back. It's fun to make announcements at places that aren't your own church. So uh, just sign up today out there. If you sign up at the groups, you get a free trip to Jerusalem, okay? Maybe not, but sign up at the groups anyway. Uh, 
If you go to Jerusalem today, you will see old ruins. I know we have old ruins in San Antonio too, like the Alamo that's, you know, a few hundred years old. But we're talking old ruins. Over 2,000 years old. We've got a picture of a tomb uh, that I want to show you. This particular tomb is over, well over 2,000 years old. Archaeologists have dated it, which here's what blew my mind when I thought of this. That means Jesus might have very well walked past this very tomb. This tomb might have even been one that he used as an illustration. These tombs back in those days were not stone colored where they blended in so much like that. But you may remember the scripture where Jesus talks about whitewashing tombs. They would basically paint them white because they wanted their tombs to be seen. An elaborate tomb like this one, the family that owned it wanted people to notice that tomb. They wanted it to be seen. They wanted it to be a statement. Even if it was a small tomb that was laid within the ground, they would want it to be noticed. They would whitewash it white so that no one would step on it. But they wanted it to be seen. That's why Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 23, 27 through 29. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones, all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look righteous like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, who Jesus is talking to here? are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the people who saw themselves as the standards for goodness because they tried so hard to be good. They self-disciplined themselves in such a way to try to produce goodness on their own. And Jesus is saying, yeah, it looks good on the outside, but on the inside, there is no integrity there. Their righteousness tried to put goodness on display, but it failed. Jesus says, on the inside, where nobody else sees, you're lacking integrity. You see, goodness starts from the inside out, in our hearts, in our minds, in the area of doing right, when nobody else may give us credit for it of being pure and holy on the inside when nobody else sees. Having a blind child, I'm a softie for stories like this one. I brought a video to share with you. In Minnesota, the manager of a Dairy Queen showed how sweet he really is. Woody gave a visually impaired customer went far beyond ice cream. As Jan Crawford shows us, he served some much needed justice. Hopkins Main Street Dairy Queen. Joey Prusak was behind the counter during the lunchtime rush when a visually impaired customer dropped a $20 bill. Before Prusak could say anything, another customer stepped in. Thinking she would return the cash, he remained quiet. Lady behind him picked it up so quickly that I figured, oh, she's just going to hand it right back to him when she went and put it in her purse. Stunned, Prusak asked her to give the money back. She declined. She goes, it's my money. And I go, all right, I'm going to ask you to leave the store politely right now. And then she made a big scene, started swearing. Um, 
and then she stormed out. With the money gone, Prusak did his best to right the wrong. He took $20 out of his own pocket, two hours of pay, and walked over to the man. I told him, um, when you drop $20, I would like to give you $20 on behalf of myself and Dairy Queen. A customer who observed the interaction was impressed and sent a letter to Dairy Queen's corporate offices. I was in shock by the generosity that your employee had, the customer wrote. I would proudly like to say that Joey has forever sealed my fate as a lifelong customer. In a statement, Dairy Queen commended Joey, saying, We applaud his integrity, kindness, and compassion. He is an inspiration to us all. He even heard from Warren Buffett, whose company owns the ice cream chain. Buffett called to thank the teen for being a role model. But for Prusak, it's still business as usual, even as loyal customers stop in to hand over $20 tips for their $2 combs. Keep that. Thank Go you very much. On it. I think what I did was so extremely nice when all I was doing was really the right thing to do. It's what starts on the inside. It's the goodness, the kindness, the integrity that is within us. The dictionary definition of integrity is a state of being whole and undivided in our hearts, in our minds, whole and undivided, the goodness of God. Integrity, we get the same word from integrity that we get integer, meaning a whole number. When I have integrity, it means I am whole on the inside and out. I am not disintegrating apart. Jesus says that goodness begins within us. It is the character of God. It is integrity within us. And when we have that integrity within us, it produces charity, the goodness of God on the outside, doing good for others, not to earn points with God, not to have people applaud us, but simply because it is the fruit of God, the character of God in our lives. Jesus modeled this for us. He talked about it all throughout the New Testament. It talks about doing good. Jesus said, let your good deeds shine before men so that all may glorify your father in heaven. Jesus says in Matthew 25, 31 through 33, but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Now, this doesn't seem like too difficult of a task to identify them and separate them. We sometimes lose the agricultural context. I think that uh, the Bible was written in in the first century Middle East context uh, because it seems like to us separating sheep and goats is pretty identifiable, right? When we think of sheep, we think of sheep that are bred for wool production, uh, like, uh, I think we got a picture for you right here. There we go. It's a nice sweater in the making right there. But we, when we think of goats, we think of what we see, uh, you know, in pastures up in the, the hill country. Pretty easy to identify those and separate them. But in the Middle East, and particularly in the first century, 
Sheep and goats could look very similar. So a little pop quiz here for you since we've already gone and watched the animal planet for a moment this morning. Anyway, is this a sheep or a goat? Let's have the first one right there. What do you think? That is a sheep. All right, let's try another one. Sheep or goat? That is a goat, correct. Last one, sheep or goat? Those are dogs. Good try. <laughs> Just kidding. They are sheep. You were right. So how do you tell them apart if they look so similar? I think that is part of Jesus' point here. The sheep and the goats, they may look very similar, but they behave differently. You see, one of the big differences between sheep and goats is sheep naturally follow the shepherd. We've got a picture of that here, too. Here's a shepherd with the sheep following. Goats, on the other hand, goats do their own thing. <laughs> As animals, they may look very similar, but their behavior can be very different. And Jesus is saying to us, not that our behavior earns us a place in heaven, but he is saying it identifies us as a species. The sound that we make, the behavior that we have is a reflection of what is happening on the inside of us because of that integrity, that charity overflows out of us. It's a real life name, that critter that we should be living every day. When people look at us, they should go, that love that patience, that joy, that self-control. There's something different about your lives. Jesus continues in Matthew talking about these sheep and goats. Verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then, as we know, he speaks to the goats and he addresses them and the treatment for them is opposite. Now, remember the crowd that Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to those who are following him. He's also talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that are there critically listening to him that think they are the standard of goodness, that think they are the ones who lead the way in what it looks like to follow God. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got it all wrong. You're whitewashed tombs. He's speaking to people who think they are believers because they look similar. In our context, they both would go to church. They might both sing the same songs. They might both carry a Bible. But the sheep, they follow the shepherd. While the goats, they define goodness in their own way. They want to be good people. They want to look religious. But really, they're doing their own thing. 
Jesus is not saying our good deeds Ernest Brownie points with him or, or Ernest's a spot in heaven. But he is saying that they are the fruit. They are the byproduct of following him. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanships, workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God gave which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love that it says beforehand, prepared, because that means God has good works. God has charity already prepared for you to do this week. There are opportunities for every single one of us to demonstrate to the world this week, this is what a follower of Christ looks like. So I challenge you, go ahead and pray and say, God, would you show me the good works that you have prepared for me this week? And then you need to be ready. Don't be the goats who want to look good but aren't ready for the good works that God has prepared for them. But let's be the sheep. In other words, that means we need to do good work at work. God has given us an opportunity, a purpose, and a place where we're serving at work where we can do good work. But don't let it stop there. Do your good work also at home. God has given you another place where we can do good work. And then maybe the most difficult one, do good to all. This is a bit tougher because at work, at home, you can think, hey, these are, these are people I like. I work with them. I live with them. Doing good makes sense. But Jesus tells us to do good to all. That includes the people who don't deserve it, who deserve our wrath instead of our goodness. Matthew 5, 43 through 45 says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Lifehouse Church, I pray that this church would be a place that when we leave these doors, I pray that Rock Hills is a church, when we leave our doors, that we demonstrate the goodness of God in Everywhere we go, in all that we do, in every opportunity that God gives us, especially when it's hard. Because I don't know if there has been a more important time in the world where the world is looking for answers and they are looking for the true goodness of God. And we have the opportunity to demonstrate that. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says this, So let us not grow tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those of the family of faith. So we have integrity. And we have charity, goodness on the inside, goodness that overflows to the outside. But the reason we have it 
is not just because we're here to be good people, but because we have clarity. Clarity, understanding the goodness of God. Folks, I hope we understand how good God has been to each one of us. And if there is any reason at all to have good within us, it is because of the goodness of God that has been given to you and to me. Luke 6.45 says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from your heart. In other words, if you are connected to the vine, if you are connected to Christ, the Holy Spirit is the life flowing within you that produces goodness from the inside out of us. We have integrity and charity because we have clarity knowing that he is our only hope for being good, for doing good, for living the good life that he has called us to live. Philemon 1.6 says, I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Lifehouse, that's my prayer for you, is that you would understand all the good things that you have in Christ. And as you understand those, the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit within our lives, that everywhere we go, people would be hungry for goodness. I want to challenge you this week to find a quiet place and just dwell on the goodness of God. Make a list of the ways that He is good in your life and let that begin to produce goodness in our hearts. Would you pray with me?